Hey, Traders Point family, so glad you're here today. You may have heard that some big things are happening this fall and we want you to be a part of it. I've had the chance to be at a few Traders Point locations for Vision Nights where we're celebrating our church's history and looking ahead at the vision that we believe God has for the future of our church. If you're at Northwest, your Vision Night is coming up next Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. and I really hope to see you there. We're calling this season Awaken, and we'll be kicking off a message series in October where we'll look more closely at what it means to be awakened to a greater sense of purpose, asking God to do a work in us and through us. And I would love for you to join us every weekend of the series to hear the teaching, but I also really want you to experience it in community with others. That's why we've created a short-term group experience to help you dive deeper into the Awaken message content with those around you. These short-term groups are designed for those who aren't in a group already. And in these groups, you'll walk through the content that aligns with the Awaken series, and you'll have the chance to process and grow alongside other people along the way. Uh, we've got groups that will meet at every Traders Point location and online throughout the week. They run for seven weeks from the beginning of October to mid-November. So be sure to register soon so you don't miss this opportunity to experience what it's like to be in a Traders Point group. Well, today you get to hear a message from our teaching pastor, Ryan Bramlett. You know, I wish that we had a chance to just sit down and for me to share with you everything that Ryan means to me uh, over the years as I've watched him uh, come to know the Lord, grow in his faith, and to see him serve along the way to become the kind of pastor and man of God that he has become. Uh, he is an incredible husband and father, and uh, he's been a great friend and companion to me over the years. I know that uh, he's going to bring a great message today that is going to encourage you from God's Word. So would you please give him a great big welcome to the stage as he comes to preach today. Far too kind, far too kind. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to piggyback off of a little bit about what Pastor Aaron was saying there with these vision nights. And just to encourage you, even if you've uh, missed the one uh, at your campus, you can attend any of these. And these are nights you don't want to miss. We got Midtown tonight, Fishers on Friday, and then back here at Northwest on Sunday. But I'm just gonna tell you, our Plainfield Vision Night was something special. It was a night of worship and celebrating, looking back on God's faithfulness. And then Pastor Aaron has an incredible message about where we're going in this next season. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. And then as far as today goes, we are continuing in our series, Asleep. And we talked a little bit and kind of made some jokes last week, but I am a big fan of sleeping. I love naps, and it's not just that I like them, I'm really good at it. Um, what I've found is I was always had this gift, but as I get older, I'm reaching new levels. Like I can fall asleep anywhere at any time, and my family loves to document it. So here's a little bit of evidence of me falling asleep when I should not have. How do I know? Because I have on a flannel and my glasses are on, mouth open on the couch, right? That's me. But we joked and we said, that's one kind of sleeping, but then there's, there's another kind, and maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's that space where you're not fully asleep, but you're not fully awake either. You're just kind of in that fog-filled space going through life, full of action and even busyness, but empty of heart. That's the space that we're speaking to in this series. And the way we're doing that is we're looking at the book of Revelation. And we're seeing these letters that Jesus wrote to these seven churches. And we're looking at how he called them out in areas that they fell asleep or had the potential to fall asleep. 
And this is more than a Bible study. Like this is a moment in time to let God shake us out of our complacency, to raise our eyes up to see him and to see what purpose he has for us in this season to be awakened to. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get to Revelation chapter three. I will just give us a little bit of background because I know anytime we talk about Revelation, everyone's thinking a hundred different things, right? So I just wanna lay the foundation of what we're looking at. The Revelation is a unique book, but at the same time, it's pretty familiar. At the base level, it is a, an epistle. It's a letter written from a pastor to a group of churches. And it's not written to just one church, it's written to seven churches. And not just uh, for all, like it was written to real people at a real time. If you look at this map here, this is kind of shows us all the churches, which is in uh, Asia Minor or modern day Turkey today. And the pastor John is writing from Patmos and he's writing an individual letter, message from Jesus to these churches. And he starts in Ephesus and he gets all the way to Laodicea. So what we've been doing in this series is just kind of looking, picking a handful of these letters and saying, hey, what does Jesus have for me and you? Because it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus wrote to seven churches. You see, in apocalyptic literature, numbers have meaning, and seven goes along with fullness or completion. So even though Jesus wrote these letters to those churches, he also wrote these letters to all churches at all time. That's where me and you fit in. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna open this letter from Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. And we're gonna be in chapter three, starting in verse seven. If you have your Bibles, you can get there. If not, everything will be on the screen behind me. And we're gonna read the letter in its entirety, right? How it would have been written, how it would have been received. And then we're gonna go back line by line and talk about, hey, what's inside this thing? So without further ado, starting in verse seven, look at the words of Jesus. Jesus says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look. I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and to bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. And to understand this message that Jesus has for the church, we need to understand some of the visuals, some of the symbols that he uses in this letter. In true Revelation fashion, it's filled with symbolism, just pictures that we gotta understand. And if you were tracking along, there's really three big ones that we're gonna unpack. So it was the key, 
It was a door and it was a pillar. And let's just work through each one of these to see what Jesus is talking about. And the first image that we come across is one of a key. And before we kind of get down and say, what does this key represent? What does it mean? Let's first address who's holding the key because that's really important. Look at what it says in verse seven. It says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. So this is Jesus writing and he says, hey, look, I have the key and I want you to know who has this key. I'm holy and I'm true. And let's just unpack that. The first word, holy, it means that he's distinct. It means he's set apart. It means there's no one like him on this earth. In this moment, when he is saying that I am holy, he's making himself equal with God. He says, I am God, I am holy. And then he says, I am true, I am true. This speaks to his authenticity, that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like you ever got to know someone and from afar, they looked one way, they portrayed this image, but then once you got to know them, you realize pretty quick that, oh, that's, that's not really who they are. Now Jesus says, hey, I am who you see. I'm exactly the same. I am holy and I am true and I hold on to the key. And what does the key represent? I think we know this, a key represents authority. A key represents access. If I have the key to something, I have authority to it, I have access. Think back in your life when maybe you got a key for the first time. Maybe you were given the key to your house, you could kind of come and go as you pleased. Or maybe you got the key to your car and you got to turn that thing on and you had freedom. For those of you that don't have a 19 in your birth year, Think about when you got like facial recognition on the iPhone. No, I don't know. I don't know. Do they even make keys anymore, you guys? Uh, but I remember growing up, my dad had so many keys. He had house keys and work keys and car keys. And he's kind of a hoarder. So he had keys that he had found, I think, and just keys that maybe one day they would open something. But the back door right next to it were these key hooks filled with keys. And I just thought, this is the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> you almost just think anywhere we go, I bet he's got a key to get into wherever we wanna go. I'm gonna have keys like that. Now we live in a keyless world. Um, no, he, Jesus says, hey, I have the key. I have the key of the city of David. He's saying, I have been given authority and access over this physical world and the spiritual world, over heaven and earth. I have access. He points to this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when the Great Commission. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is really good news because he is holy and true and he holds the key. And then the next thing, it kind of sets us up for this, is this door image. He says, I have the key and, and I've opened up some doors and I've closed some others. And if you think about back to the Great Commission, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, then what do you say? Now go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And know this, I will be with you always. And you can trust that because I'm holy and I'm true. So the second thing that he points to 
are these doors. Take a look at this in verse seven through eight. He says, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Now I know all the things you do and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. So Jesus says, I got the key. He says, and I've I've decided to open some doors and close some others. Now, what are these doors and what do they represent? You see, an open door, it represents ministry opportunities. So what Jesus is telling the people in Philadelphia and all of us that there are open doors around you. There are gospel opportunities. This is language that's used in the New Testament. Like in 2 Corinthians, it says, the Lord has opened a door for opportunity for me. An opportunity to do what? Well, to live out that great commission, to lead with love, to love the people around us, to share the gospel with them, to advance his kingdom. He says there's open doors everywhere. I just wanna ask you, how are you with open doors? A lot of times we can get in and following Jesus and looking to him and we spend all of our time trying to avoid not doing this or trying to avoid those doors or those opportunities. But how are you with the open doors in your life? Are you paying attention to the doors God has opened, the people he has given you, the platform he has entrusted you with? Are you taking advantage of those open doors? You see, because I think a lot of us get caught up in another set of doors. Those are closed doors. And what are closed doors? Well, I think closed doors represent suffering, right? I mean, that's what, that's what suffering is, is, is you got to a space in your life, you got to a season, you came to a door, and you thought at this time that door would be open, but it remains closed. You thought the door to money would be opened, or the, the door to your career, or, or the door to marriage, or the door to having kids. You, you thought the door to that relationship, or he, even this one, you thought the door to just personal health would be open but it seems like it's just one closed door after another. How are you with closed doors? How do you do in pain and suffering? I want you to think about that. I mean, suffering and pain, closed doors really do a number on us. If you've seen people that have walked through that, what's the natural response? I just wanna go lay down. At end of a long day, I just wanna go to sleep. And that kind of just funnels its way into our everyday life where we just become motion, just just, just moving, but without any heart. We're we're, we're asleep because it's just so heavy. I get it. But Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, I'm actually, you're small in numbers. There's very few of you, but you've remained obedient. You've paid attention to the open doors and you walk through those and you don't crumble by the closed doors. And I just want to celebrate you. And he says, keep going, remain faithful. Because when you do, and this is where we get to the third image, he says, I'm gonna make you a pillar. I'm gonna make you a pillar. Look at this in verse 12. He says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. Once again, let's go back to original context. This letter They're getting people in Philadelphia. They're living in a time and space where they are hated and rejected by everyone. The Jewish people, we've already seen Jewish, I mean, Jesus calls it Satan's synagogue. They aren't even welcome inside the temple. They can't even go there. 
And all of Rome, the whole empire, it, it hates them. They're, they're not accepted by them either. And, but Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to get caught up in that. I want you to pay attention to this. I'm going to make you a pillar. And this would have hit them, you know, right in the heart. Because pillars were what held up the temples. Pillars were what held up all of the buildings in ancient Rome. And on those pillars, the most prominent people in the city, they would have their names etched into stone. And everyone would know, these are the successful people. These are the people we want to be like. These are the people that are welcome in our city. And Jesus says, hey, I know. I know you're not on that list. I know you're not welcome in that temple. But can I tell you something? You'll be welcome in mine. There's going to come a time where you will be a permanent fixture in a Christ-filled eternity. Hold on. And I just want to put that there, out there to us too. That it can get really messy when we begin to look at life and we're not accepted here, we're not wanted over there and we begin to take that and project that onto God. Maybe that's God's view of us as well. Can I just tell you that that is in no way a reflection of how God feels about you, the life that God has for you. And we need to hold on to that in this moment and not to give way, not to back down, but to know there's, there's a promise before me. And if I remain faithful, if I walk through the open doors and I handle the closed doors, there is a promise for me that my God loves me and wants me and I'm on his list and I'm etched into the pillar in his temple. So what do we do in, in that gap, right? That promise is there, it's coming because it's from the one who is true and faithful. I know it's gonna come true, but at the same time, we're living in this reality where we're not always wanted or loved. And it's not always open doors, but sometimes it's suffering. So how do we suffer well? Suffering's coming. Whether you're in it right now or you're about to step into it, it's waiting for all of us. So how do we handle it in a way that it doesn't swallow us up? But how do we go through it in a way that we actually become mindful of the opportunities that we have and it, uh, we allow it to form us in a way that nothing else could and we actually learn from it? How, how do we do that? That's what we're gonna be doing, super practical with the rest of our time. And I want us to just look at one word that Jesus uses for what he celebrates this church for and it's actually a word that's used of Jesus himself and it's one characteristic trait that we all need to hold on to as well. Did you catch it? Look at it in verse 10. He says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. To persevere. What does that word mean? To persevere is to endure a difficult situation without giving way. Right? Ha. That, that's the secret, right? How do we go through life? And no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we continue moving forward. We may get knocked down seven times, but how do we stand up eight? What does that look like? I just want to give you three things for how we can do that. The first thing that we're going to need is perspective. There's a perspective that we have to kind of bring everything back and have a new mind shift when it comes to suffering. Because a lot of times when we go through life, we think open doors equals good opportunities, closed doors, bad opportunities, and I need to avoid the closed doors at all costs. God doesn't want me to go through pain and suffering. God only wants good things and happy things. And strangely, God only wants what I want. But that's not the perspective we need, and that's one that will actually lead to more pain and more suffering. But the truth is, the perspective that we need 
is that there is always a purpose for my suffering. Always. If, if Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, if he holds the key, if he's in control, then no matter what I face, it can be used and there is a purpose behind it, even if I can't see it. Because this will really mess with your theology. If you think God is only leading you to good times and good moments and good feelings and more money, you gotta wrestle with the idea of, well, who led Jesus into the desert to face the devil? God. Who led Jesus to the cross to be killed? God. So this is where faith really comes into play. And I have this perspective of God, I wouldn't have chosen this. I didn't want this, but I trust you're involved. You're gonna carry me through. And even in this, I believe there's an opportunity for something you wanna do. And when we get to that place, that perspective, where that rightful view of God, he is holy, he is in control and all powerful and true, it puts us in our right spot. And you know what that gives us? It gives us humility. It gives us humility. Because there's this strange thing that happens when things are going well, it is easy for pride to kind of creep up. It's easy for us to believe the lie that we are in control of more things than we are. When the things are going well and the money's right and the family's doing well and everything is moving in the right direction, we get this false sense of security. And suffering comes along and humbles us. We're reminded that we're not as in control. We're not as powerful. We're just like the people in Philadelphia. We're small in the grand scheme of things. And the best place we can be is just in a posture of humility, realizing and recognizing and worshiping the one who is in control. And when we're at the feet of Jesus in that humble posture, realizing there is a God and we're not him, that's when we can learn. And we can learn obedience. That's what suffering will teach us and to show us if we're really obedient or not. And obedience is talked about quite a bit in the Bible and I don't think we really love talking about how big of a deal it is. But this, these are the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. Have you ever noticed that it is really easy to obey and to love God when things are going well? I'm all more Jesus all the time. You start following Jesus, you implement some stuff you learned on a Sunday. You want you got better relationships at home, work's going better. You're like, this is more Jesus, please. Remember that song we used to sing, uh, Oceans? Lord, oh, take me where my feet are. Keep taking me, you know what I mean? Lord, take me where my feet will wander beyond where I can stand. Take me into the oceans of your grace. God, I wanna go where my feet can't touch. I trust you, God, take me. And God takes us. And we go all the way out there and like, this is so good, this is so good. And then God takes us into a storm. And you're like, hold up. And you start singing a different song. It's like, Lord, take me back to the shore, back to the shore. I don't want anymore. I don't want anymore. I've had enough. You see though, we, we learned last week in looking at the church in Ephesus that obedience without love is incomplete. But I think we also need to see that obedience without suffering is incomplete as well. 
That it's not just enough to be obedient when things are going well, but what does it look like to be obedient when things are hard? What does it look like to continue moving forward and persevering when I didn't ask for any of this? How do we, what's the perspective? How do we take that on? And here's the thing we need to realize that the testing is actually good for us. It, it, it reveals who we really are. Because I can say I am a lot of things, but until I'm tested, that's when it comes out. And, and that's what James points to in his book when he calls me, he says, hey, when you're facing, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfected and complete, needing nothing. It's this idea that when the trials come, when the closed doors come, they're actually being used in a way to develop me, to form me, so that I will be complete, needing nothing. But we gotta be very clear of what these opportunities are meant to do. They're not just meant to get us the things that we want, they're meant to be used to form us, to shape us into the image of Jesus. And you see, suffering, maybe so more than anything else, suffering reveals who we are. Suffering reveals who we are. Here's this hard truth that we all need to wrestle with. The person you are on your worst day and the person you are on your best day are the same person. We like to believe that on the best day, that's who I am, that's who I really am. On our worst day, when we blew up like that, when we exploded on that person, that's not really us. I don't know what that was, but that's not me. You know, I met with a guy once, um, he made a, a racist comment. And so I sit down with him and I'm talking to him and I'm telling him, hey, you can't say things like, that's not okay. But then I begin to just, I'm curious, I wanna ask him like, how did you grow up? Tell me your story. Like, how do you get to a place where you say things like that? And he really shook me with his answer. He said, no, 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 that's not who I am. Like, that's not what I'm about. He's like, I'm gonna be honest with you, I just haven't been sleeping well lately. I said, hold up, man. I've missed a lot of sleep in my day. I never woke up racist, you know what I mean? Like I never, there's no connection between these two things. What it did and what suffering does for all of us, it gets to that bottom layer. It gets to what's deep down in our hearts. And sometimes that gets exposed and sometimes that is painful, but we have to deal with it and we have to address it. Suffering reveals who we really are. And I just wanna ask you, what comes out when you're suffering? What comes out when you bleed? It is one thing to be you know, loving and kind when things are going well, but when, when you face the pressure, when you face conflict, when you bleed, what comes out? I would love to say when I bleed, it looks like Jesus, that the fruits of the Spirit just come out. It's just love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's anger and bitterness and frustration. 
But for you, what comes out, what is suffering teaching, what is it revealing about who you really are? It, nothing to be shameful of. It's an opportunity to repent. An opportunity to say, God, I didn't even know this was in here. Thank you for revealing it to me. You see, suffering reveals who we are, but it also, suffering reveals what we've built our lives on. We can live under this kind of illusion that we've really placed our life and our faith in Jesus and he's the most important thing and he's the bedrock to it all until life hits, until a storm comes and things get shaken and we realize, man, I was really obedient to that thing. I was really looking for my value and my place in this world and that thing and now that it fell, it is hurting really, really bad. I didn't even know. It's God's mercy that he allows things to shake like that. And you gotta think he's writing this to this church in Philadelphia, this city that was ravished by earthquakes. This city, they would build these beautiful buildings and these temples and these structures and then an earthquake, an earthquake would come through and rattle it and bring it all down to the ground. And in this letter, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to remember what I'm building can't be shaken. The life I'm giving you can't be taken. The door that I open can't be closed. And every time we get to this space, once again, there is no shame. Every day when we come to terms with the fact that we've built our life on something else other than the bedrock of our faith in Jesus and the solid rock that he is, it's an opportunity to build again on the rock. So as we're going through our lives, as it reveals what we are and what we've built our life on, it's an opportunity to respond. Are we gonna allow this humble posture to teach us obedience? And then the last thing that we'll need is, is community. I want you to think about this. It's fascinating to me that when we talk with people who stopped going to church, you see them out and like, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a while, what's going on? And they're like, well, just, it's been a really tough season. I'm really going through a lot, so I kind of pulled back. My mind almost explodes. I'm like, that's the, whole, that's the whole thing we're doing over there. It's for the hard times. It's for the struggle. It's to have faith that we can persevere through any circumstance. You need people. But it's almost like human instinct. That when we hurt or when we begin to suffer, it's to isolate. It's to withdraw. It's to be alone. I don't want to see anybody. I mean, think about that. If you're in a group right now, chances are if you're in a difficult season, a tough week, you get to that Thursday and you're trying to find any reason you can not to go before people. What is so broken with us? That's the number one place that we should be. We need community. We need this relational web around us so that when we struggle, when we stumble, when we fall, we have people there that are not gonna leave us there and are gonna help us persevere through a difficult situation. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest pieces of feedback we get from people who stop going to group is this, it wasn't real. We showed up and I went and it was the same thing every week. Everyone's doing great. It's the best days of our lives, great appetizers. We would pray, nothing personal, but just, you know, general. And then we would leave. Who wants to be a part of that? You ever been in a group with someone for months or years and then you get to this spot and they're like, hey, I just want everyone in the group to know that I signed my divorce papers today. And you had no idea they were even struggling. It's like, what, what are we doing? This, this space 
that if God is who he says he is, he's the perfect one, he's the holy one, he's in control, and we humble ourselves, it will give us permission to embrace our brokenness. We don't have to suffer alone. We can go first and to say, hey, things, these things are going well, but also this over here, I'm really struggling. I need some prayers. I need some advice. I need some encouragement. Leaders go first. Share what's really going on. And if you've backed out of a group or you've been inconsistent or you've been just showing up, demolishing those free appetizers, I just want to encourage you to get back into group, real group, life-giving relationships. And if you don't have a group, but if you want that space, you want those people around you, we have a spot for you. There are Awaken groups. Here's what it is. It's a short-term group. You get connected with a handful of people to do life with, to figure out what does it look like, not to just come to church on Sunday, but to live and to be developed in the image of Jesus and to not do it alone. Community is for you. You can go to our app. If you don't have it, download it. It's right there on the homepage. That's how you can get signed up for one of these groups. And I'll tell you, you can do all these things. You can have that mind shift. You can have a new perspective. You can humble yourself. You can be obedient in the bad days and in the good. You can surround yourself in community. And I promise you, it will help you suffer well. You'll be better for it. But I'll tell you, you're still missing the key to it all. It's Jesus. The only way we can truly suffer well, the only hope we have to truly persevere is by faith in Jesus, to take him seriously, to be obedient to him and to trust that he is with us always. And I want you to think about this. I want you to go back to that key, that door, that pillar. Jesus makes the claim that he has the key, he has all authority, he has access to it all. But I want you to think about how he got that key. All religions, all people that you meet with, they say that they have the access, they have the authority, they have the way to go through life. Jesus is the only one who opened the door from this side. Jesus, God himself became man, wrapped himself in flesh and bones. And he lived the perfect life. Our God knows what it's like to suffer. Our God came to the end. And I want you to think about this. He was obedient every step of the way. He went through the open doors, but our God also knows what it's like to meet a closed door. As he sat in the garden and he prayed and he knew the cross was what awaited him. He knew the suffering that was coming. He did the most human thing you and me would ever do. He banged on the door and he wanted out. He says, God, I don't want to go through with this. But then he came to this space. It is the space we all have to live in. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. That's the spot when we know we're really being obedient. And it's not just for show. And it's not just for these cultural Christians, but when our will and God's will collide, what do we do then? Will we be obedient then? And we see that Jesus was truly victorious because he stepped out of that garden and he went to a cross, the perfect life, the perfect sacrifice for me and you. 
And here's the thing, this is the hope for me and you. When people would have seen the cross, no one saw an open door, no one saw an opportunity. They saw suffering and suffering alone. But if there was hope in the cross, then there's hope for me and you and our suffering as well. Because Jesus would rise three days later, later, proving that he truly did have the power to defeat sin and death. And he holds the key. He holds the key to it all. And he is inviting us to be a part of this life. He's done all of it. And he stands on this side, inviting me and you into it. What we have to do is believe. Believe that he is the one who is holy and true. Believe he is the one that went to the cross and resurrected. And on this side, he extends an invitation. We already know how he's gonna respond. It's on me and you. But look at the words of Jesus in chapter three, verse 20. He says, ah, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That is there for anyone today. If you wanna go through life in a way that you have purpose in everything, that you have strength to persevere through the closed doors and the open doors, no matter what you face. If you wanna know what it's like to become a pillar in the temple of God, to be welcomed in as family to God, that is available to you. Do not leave here without talking to someone. And then for all of us, I pray that this, we are awakened to this idea that we can and we have what it takes to suffer well because he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. That there is nothing that we can't face, there is nothing that he can't handle. So in this moment at all of our campuses, I would love it if you would just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and I want you to remember this moment in time. It may be hard for you right now to stand because you're remembering the suffering. You're remembering the pain. You know what awaits you on the other side of these doors. But I want you to be reminded by this. God is with you. And he was faithful then. He's gonna be faithful now. That he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he has an ability to strengthen you for the mission and life that he has for you. So in this moment, I just want you to dig your feet in deep, to come before this holy God and to worship, to confess to him and let it be revealed of who we are and who we want to be. Would you join us in this moment of worship? Father, we come before you today and we want you to help us. We are humbled. We've been rocked by this world. We've been brought to our knees by this world. We've been exposed by this world. But God, we don't wanna live on our backs. We don't wanna live sleepwalking through life. God, we wanna have faith that you are who you say you are. We wanna believe that you have the power. We wanna believe that you have the plan. We wanna believe that you're using all of this to form us. God, give us faith. Father, strengthen us. God, I pray that you would help us to suffer well, to be obedient, even when it's difficult. God, to be obedient even at the closed door, to be obedient even when our love isn't reciprocated, to be obedient no matter what. 
God, help us to have the courage to embrace our brokenness and to stand together, united. And God, in this moment of worship, we lift our eyes to you, to the one who holds the key. God, to the one who has all authority, to the one that is holy and true, the one that never changes, the one who is authentic, the one who is there and present in this moment. God, I pray that in this moment right now, everything else fades away. God, we make a promise and a declaration right here that we will be obedient. God, if there's been anything we've built our life on, God, I pray we let it go. And we stand here in this moment on the firm foundation, on the faith in Jesus Christ, on his blood, on his sacrifice. And if we do that, God, we know there's not a storm that can come that can move us. God, allow us to be pillars in your temple, Father. Jesus, we love you. It's in your perfect and holy name we pray.